Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 21, Act 2, Oliver Butler, What It Means About, recorded April 20th, 2019, in Brooklyn, New York. About irrevocability. Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches, and fight our own way free. Cause the rules don't lie, but they don't apply to people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out. And the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Bonney is a proud partner of Teaching Artists Guild. Teaching Artists Guild is a national network of teaching artists and arts education leaders. They've been around since 2013, and Teaching Artists Guild, or TAG, has provided resources and communication about the growing field through their website, databases, and quarterly magazine. They also feature a pay rate calculator and have recently launched an interactive map of the field. Oh, and they also offer dental and vision discounts across the whole U.S. of A. That's amazing. You can visit them at teachingartistsguild.org to learn more about all this fabulous stuff. Tag, where the resources are abundant. Hey, hey, TA listeners. We love you listening. You are our TA listeners. And we appreciate it. Remember, tell your peeps, get them to pop those earbuds in. The more people who listen, the more we'll grow our community. And so we thank you. Remember to tell them, follow it on Facebook so you get those announcements. Get it on Twitter. We like to tweet other people and other interesting things around arts and education. And Insta, there's just great images. It's fun. So thanks. Hey. Do you know AATE, or better yet, uh, American Alliance of Theater Educators? Well, they have an annual conference, and this year it was in New York City. Um, There were a lot of great uh, networking opportunities, breakout sessions, and plenary keynote speeches and discussions. And one of the conversations was with Ty Defoe um, around gender equity and inclusivity. And uh, I talk about Ty. I have been talking about Ty a lot on this podcast, maybe because there's some... um, um, resonance in, in his presence in my life, which is, uh, wonderful, but he was a guest on this podcast last month in a live podcast event at, uh, Lincoln center education, uh, which was amazing. And in this act, I mentioned that I was hoping to have him on at some point as a guest. So what can I say? Yay. 
Uh, another thing that I did this summer uh, was that I saw what the Constitution means to me again on Broadway. Uh, I watched it with my artistic collaborator, Annie Montgomery, and her daughter. And we did this as part of research for uh, our show that we are currently developing. Um, and honestly, I was uh, really, really thrilled to be able to see it again before the end of its uh, Broadway run. And um, it goes on tour. And the first stop is DC, which we talk about, uh, which is super exciting. In this episode, we talk about this. Um, and, uh, you know, it was it was even better the second time around and really cool to see how it's sort of um, trans the, what the transfer looked like, but also to, to see it in such a large space after feeling um, when it was in the off Broadway space, how intimate that was. And um, uh, what's the word? You know, there was an informality to a formal play setting. Um, when it was off Broadway and to see how that same kind of intimacy was possible uh, in a much larger, you know, larger seat seated house. Um, uh, Heidi cried a lot, which I thought was really interesting and um, touching. Um, And she even sort of said, I don't know why I'm crying so much, but this is, this is the world we're living in. And so anyway, if you have a chance to see it, now that it's going on tour, I highly recommend it. Um, and I just am loving talking to Oliver in this episode about um, the piece and including the the fact that they brought in a teen debater, uh, Rosdelli Cipriani, who uh, was the expert on debate um, and now is, has been a part of the um, in the performances of the show. And I, I actually got to see her debate Heidi both times I saw it. And I got to meet this remarkable young woman uh, who was the first keynote speaker at the AATE conference. Um, so uh, I'm excited for you to hear the conclusion of our conversation. Here is episode 21, act two, Oliver Butler, what it means about. So one thing I'll say that I've also learned um, seemingly recently, like, you know, in the last like two years is sort of recognizing like the rules of whiteness Mm. that once they become apparent, you know, the rules of the patriarchy, the rules of whiteness, when they become apparent, you start realizing how you're involved in it. And Mm. one thing that is like really common in the sort of like white spaces is one, this obsession with perfection, right? Sort of like get do not get it wrong because if you get it wrong mm-hmm. you're screwed right like sort of like again it's like in the zero sum world you fuck up and you uh that's it right you lose yeah. right so that's one thing the other thing is don't talk about it you know do not talk about it yeah and that is one of those things i think as a storyteller and as an artist i am so sad i have spent so much of my life under this sort of oppression of not talking about things mm. And unfortunately, a lot of the work that has to happen involves words, words. knowing what words to say. Oh, my goodness. You know? I said what the Constitution means about. Right. I right. said it. You said it. I can you never said it. not say it. You can never not say it. Like, but also, I can never, it's recorded, for goodness sake. But also a, mis- <laughs> a mistake that actually makes you think a little bit about, I mean, not, you know, we, um, you know, we, 
I, I would love to dig as much meaning from it as well. But like the assumptions that we make about like what a title is and oh, yeah. how we're supposed to use words, right? Totally undermines the sort of beauty of just how words sound, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, I even think, look, I understand I want to say things and have them be understood by you. And language is a total, uh, is a total miracle that I'm having ideas and I'm pretty sure, uh, an approximate, a pretty close approximation of what I'm trying to say is reaching your brain, mm -hmm. um, and vice versa. But also, you know, the idea that, you know, <laughs> we can't start using words differently, yeah. um, is sort of, you know, that also feels like sort of a sad, a sad thing if we let it go too far or are too hard on ourselves about the, you know, the weird ways that language pops out of our yeah. brain, you know? Okay. So, so three things i think yeah. there might be more there's always more uh the words or that the, sorry that where i was where i was having that like deep pause and like oh is this where we're going okay i'm gonna go there and then you you kept going which is good because you you helped me um so this year 2019 has been an interesting year for courtney in in many ways um one of which is that i've i've met somebody who i'm hoping will be a guest in the future um who is a first first nations artist uh, like a mm. prolific artist just really really exciting and <clears throat> we were presenting a show that he wrote and um co-directed and um it it was the first time that as an organization and, and certainly me as a, an arts educator slash um, more specifically director of education um, were creating work or creative content around or wraparound um, content around a production of this nature. And there was a lot of work that we had to do because nobody on the staff and nobody who were, were going to do the, the work that we were planning on doing were na uh, first nations or, mm. um, of Native American uh, or indigenous cultures or heritage. So um, we had a lot, we had to reach out, we had to do a lot of research. And one of the um, touch points that we had was we had him come in and do a work, uh, like a workshop or a training for the teaching artists and staff around decolonization, indigenizing. Um, and it was, it was, it barely scratched the surface, but it was very impactful. Mm. Um, and ongoing to thinking about like land acknowledgements and what that means and, and drafting and language and how important language it sure. actually is. But the thing that I, I took the, one of the takeaways that I had around that workshop <clears throat> was this idea that, um, you know, colonization is about putting people in boxes and this, uh, this concept of perfection right. as opposed to continually thinking about growing and that we're on a journey. Sure. Um, so that, that idea of, um, that I always just, I sort of just attributed to being in the suburbs, but now I'm realizing, Oh no, I was just surrounded by a lot of white people, but we were living and I'm, I'm being real like flippant about it, but I don't mean that, but <clears throat> Just saying, like, some of the things that I experienced as a kid where we were told to be polite and make sure and don't, like, don't do anything that's going to make them talk about the black people on the block. Right. And and yet, when I was growing up, like, by the time I got into middle school, I, my sort of friend zone got larger and it was mostly white people who were, like, fringy and weird and fun, really weird and funny. Mm. Um and their lives were fucked up. Hmm. All of them. They all had fucked upness. Yeah. But 
on the uh, there I, there was always an air from the parents like everything's fine everything's fine right. everything's fine everything's yeah. fine and you know we would sort of get messages <laughs> like not I, not like they ri- like wrote scripts but like my dad would say something like if your mom if if somebody asks you about your sister say this or if somebody you know wants to know why your mom you know only lives here on the weekends say this and that became sort of normal like that's just what you do and i didn't realize that i was a part i was being brought into this like sure facade sure. you know and yeah. and there was a certain point in my life where i <clears throat> you know had had to make some decisions about how i operate in the world certain things you know i don't talk about every single thing i feel like definitely this podcast helps me to say things that i wouldn't necessarily say on a on a regular um but I did make a decision that I I refused to do that a message. I refused to sort. I want to be more transparent. I don't want to feel like I'm hiding things. Um, anyway, so I'm I'm going back to what you were saying about how you're sort of ingrained into not talking about things that you you make things look pretty and everything is so. So this idea of having to change the way you operate is hard. It's actual hard work and That's that you right. have to talk about things that are uncomfortable. Having those uncomfortable, courageous conversations actually is what makes change. Yeah. But it's hard to even take that first step. Yeah. I'm going to tell you a story. I don't know if this, I'll, if I'll keep this or not. All right. Nice. Okay. You can. So I'm, I'm getting an award, mm. um, which is very exciting. Awesome. Congratulations. And thank you very much. It's, it's a community impact award in theater for young audiences, Whoa. which is, that's awesome. I mean, what more can one ask for? Nothing. Yeah. I mean, a plaque maybe. Uh, or, I'm, I'm uh, going to get something, something. Some sort of award. To go on one of these walls here, I think. <laughs> I know, there is nothing on my wall. You got, no, you got great art painting. here and everything. But yeah, I think right here. Anyway, <clears throat> right there. but awesome. Congratulations. Thank That's you. That's amazing. Thank you very much. Um, so in preparing for the materials, there's like a, you know, a program for the the lunch itself where the awards will be handed out. And it's, um, it's co produced by these two different uh networks and the other network is putting together this program so they sent it out <clears throat> to ask for feedback and you know any any edits and there were some copy edits that I, I i immediately was like oh well you know everything else is this and that um but the front cover had our headshots and my headshot looked odd and, and i didn't quite get it at first and i was like why does this look so odd? Oh, I see. They they definitely did some background like editing and in the process of that changed the shape of my hair. Uh, if you've ever seen mm-hmm. my headshot, it's the same shot that I have for mm-hmm. this podcast and, and my hair is sort of in a, in a you know, a, a controlled fro. Let's, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, but whatever. It's like a bob, but it's, it's, you know, it goes almost down to my shoulders and somehow with their editing, it changed it to a much shorter bob. Hmm. And I was like, no, what? Hmm. No. Yeah. So I simply wrote, it was my first bullet. And then I was like, and these copy, these things. But I just wrote, you know, that uh, it's clear that the designer has made some choices, but in the process has changed the shape of my hair and I look odd. And then I thought, do I say this? And I chose to say it. It was very simple of saying, um, Frankly, I believe that this design choice was insensitive, hmm. period. Off it goes. And I thought, oh, this is going to become a thing. Um, and it should. 
mm-hmm. and it's shit. Sure. So in in and I you know and then it goes from there. It's, it's my headshot is restored. It's gonna be fine. But <clears throat> the there was some backlash that I wasn't privy to specifically. But what was more interesting to me was that the group of people who uh, are involved in this were are themselves working on um, anti-racism mm-hmm. um, education and were making some decisions that they thought were fine. Right. <laughs> and so I, I, in, in the end, I, I, my guess is that they um, were well-meaning and, you know, made a design choice that just didn't quite land of like, that's not okay. Um, we're sort of taken aback at that feed piece of feedback, whether, I, whether it was filtered or not, I, I can't say, so I don't know mm-hmm. for sure. But, um, I'm really, one, I'm really happy that I said something mm-hmm. like, not that I wouldn't have said something, but I'm really, I'm really happy that I said this choice was insensitive right. because I did chose not to give them the benefit of the doubt, right. even though in my head I was doing that. I definitely right. was doing that. I was yeah. like, well, they don't know. Oh, um, you know, who knows? Yeah. And I was like, some, somewhere in the back of my head, it might've been Kwanis Floyd being like, fuck that. No, well, she, she wouldn't say that necessarily, but she would have been like, no, that's not yeah. okay. And when I told, um, uh, my friend who is now, you know, uh, uh, I don't know why I'm not saying his name. His name is Ty Defoe. So when I told Ty and I told my, my, um, supervisor and my colleague, they all, you know, it was very interesting to see the, the, the react, who was reacting or how people were reacting. So my, my two colleagues that I told, um, are white women and they first apologized that it happened to me. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, no, that should make waves. Like, that's not right. Blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. And then when I told Ty um, and I told uh, the director of PR, she is um, Asian. She was like, ugh, ugh. <laughs> like, like ugh. and he was like, do you need me to write a letter? Right. So there was this like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And yet there are people who are like, and she got involved in making the program, by the way. Mm. So like there was this action on yeah. one hand and, and I'm not comparing. I'm just saying like from somebody who um, takes time, has lots of questions about who she is in a room, how yeah. she does or does not change. Yeah. Why am I talking about myself in the third person? I don't know. But I, I this was the first time in a long time that I felt like somebody was saying you don't matter hmm. in a long time. Yeah. Whether that choice was intentional or not to right. say that, right. that was the first time. Here you are honoring me <laughs> right. and yet you have made a choice that you've made this design choice for right. all the other people who happen to be presenting to me as not as white Yeah. that did not change yeah. a feature on yeah. them and you did so for me thinking what? I don't right. know. Right you got some work to do yeah. and you have to work harder. Yeah. Much yeah. harder. Yeah. You know, it's funny as you tell the story, like to tell you like what my, what I see is like my, you know, the part of me that wants to preserve sort of whiteness or the sort of mm. not saying something mm-hmm. as you're telling the story, I'm thinking, Oh, I, I would just not say anything. You just like, <laughs> right. That voice in my head being like, I just, you know, no, you just right. That person who like, who sort of like, 
you know, tries to not rock the boat mm-hmm. or say anything that's going to sort of like break the system, right? That is the sort of this, and maybe that's part of that other voice that was in your head too. I hear that as well. Even hearing it, you think like, oh yeah, I, I, it's so much easier to just not rock the boat, right? But it ends up being an incredible opportunity, mm-hmm. right, for them, for everyone to learn, for them to learn something either that is happening on an, even an unintentional thing, mm-hmm. right, could be, you could be seeing a symptom of something much larger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's everything. I mean, it's like the world has been designed to, like, benefit certain people, right. you know? So it's like even if the individual people possibly, you know, uh, best case scenario had no, you know, intentional, uh, were not intending to do that, that doesn't matter, because like the effect right. was the same mm-hmm. and we're just running a program that, and again, I'm not looking at the, I, I don't know the specifics of the design choice, but we are running a program or doing something that just naturally singles you out in this way. Right. And we can learn something from that. Right. And like the fact that you felt something from that is also, you know, I, and when I listen to it, it's like, I start thinking like, you know, I don't have the experience in my life of having you know, uh, uh, of having things, you know, related to my, or no, I do. I mean, the thing is, I have plenty of experience mm-hmm. where I felt like, ooh, I don't like the way that looks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think I have the experience of being like, oh, I don't like the way that looks. And I feel like it's related to like something specific about, like they did it because of something specific about me. I don't have that experience. Right. right. And so when I hear that story, I think like, what a great opportunity Right. If everyone could just pump the brakes a little bit. Right. If all those people can just take a breath and be like, I'll choose to not take this personally so right. much and say this is some actually useful information, you know, either about our designer mm-hmm. or the design program. Or again, mm-hmm. I'm not looking at it, but like you might actually be revealing some like opportunity for evolution. You know, I, I hope so. Frankly, yeah. I, I really hope so. Because I'm I'm super honored to get this award. I'm super I'm super excited about the um, experience. Um, it's taken me a minute to get there, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. But mm. you know, this was this was a bit of a, a wrinkle in that um, mm. journey towards like really feeling like I deserve this. Yeah. And then something like that happens, and you're like, ah. But I was also I was thinking back to we live in a blue state. I live in a very uh, you know it's a flawed city but it is a city that where i i have agency yeah and where i don't necessarily have in other states or cities i'll give you an example so um a couple of years ago um <clears throat> my best friend's um my best friend from college her sister got married in south carolina um and i could have i was looking at flights and um i could have flown to south carolina for like five hundred dollars or charleston north carolina charleston charleston charlesville charlottesville there's charlottesville and there's charleston i think it's charlotte uh charlotte well somewhere in north carolina yeah that has more frequent flights so it was like a hundred yeah or 150 dollars so i but i would have to drive yeah and so then i was like oh do i rent a car and frankly um it was shortly after just around the same time as sandra bland Mm -hmm. and that was in texas sure but i had a moment it was the first time i ever thought ooh, should i be driving right 
in a place, especially in a place that I actually don't know. I've never driven before. Yep. And I, as a New Yorker, don't drive a lot anyway. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and I had to take a minute. I, I, There was a moment where I sort of was like, if I can't make this decision, which felt really, really weird to me to have to have to make this. Well, one, it was awful that I had to make that decision. But two, it was the first time I felt like I had I had to even have that thought. Yeah. And And then I had to tell my friend, like, I may not come. Yeah. Because of this. Yeah. And so I, while I was thinking what she ended up doing was saying, my husband will pick you up. Yeah. He'll come and get you. It's not that far of a drive. And if, and rather than you don't ever have to drive anyway, you can just drink. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And and so she sort of made the choice for me and I let her because I really wanted to see her and I wanted to celebrate her sister who, you know, know, it's her big day and and I've known her since she was like 12. So, so I wanted to say that. And so like those kinds of things as, as a kid that I just never thought about, I've had to think about these things based on real, real events that are happening in our country. Right. Um, and apply them into my life in ways that I, I hadn't before. I just want to say another thing though. Um, I went to go visit, uh, California. Mm hmm. I stayed in San Diego and then my cousin had just bought a place in Palm Springs. So I, and that's like a six hour train ride or a two and a half hour car ride. Mm. And I wanted to have a car cause I really wanted to go to Joshua's tree. Mm-hmm. So I decided to <laughs> one, I decided to rent a car. Yes. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do this mm-hmm. and, and still nervous, but I'm, I'm, I'm about it. And then two, I got a convertible. <laughs> I did I that like, once going to California as well. I feel uh, like that's like the first time to, to California. Right? Yeah. They, the I rental mean, I, agencies know they're like, all right. Yeah. I was, mo- I was more terrified that I was going to get uh, hit by a car because they cry. They drive crazy out there yeah 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 then getting pulled over but i still had that sort of somewhere in the back of my brain i was like don't do anything crazy don't stand out even though you got this car (laughs) yeah but there but so it's there it's it's real yeah it's real and yet you know like i walk by those guys who um you know the at the subway when they're checking bags i've since 9-11 i've never been pulled over to Check you know out. what I've learned with that? <laughs> I get pulled over to do that if I look them in the eyes. Oh, is that weirdly, what it is? I, I like, look them in the eyes. <laughs> weirdly, they will always ask me if I look them in the eyes. And I um, I just don't look at them and I walk right by and I never get yeah. stopped. So, I, yeah, I'm not really. Um, so that's not one. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, yeah. So like moving, <laughs> if I, I, I feel like we should call it like the title of this again, perfection, right? I think a lot about the titles of these episodes. Yeah. yeah. I feel like a white woman. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> take two on that one. White man, black woman chatting on a couch. <laughs> yeah. That's good. I like that. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So this, or, or just like what it means about what, it, what it means about. Yeah. That's it. What it means about black woman, white man on a couch, what it, what means, it means about. about. <laughs> <laughs> com sponsor us. <laughs> oh yeah. Work in those products, yeah. please. Um, okay. So <laughs> we've gotten a little off track in, in, uh, bringing it back to arts. Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's bring it back to art. <laughs> That's why you're here. You're an artist. Yeah. Um, and really, we talk about teaching. So you teach, yeah. right? I do. Yeah. Actually, on Monday, I'm going to 
one of my favorite places to teach, the uh, National Theater Institute at the O'Neill out in Connecticut. And um, uh, the Debate Society, my theater company, has yeah. been going out there and teaching um, playmaking workshops for the last five to seven years. That's great. Um, and we've probably taught like, I think it's around 1500 students over that time. Are they, uh, what what grade are they in? They tend to be, so they can be all ages. They tend to be in undergrad generally, but I think some of the youngest students we've had were like 16 or 17 and the oldest was like 65. Oh wow. Um, yeah. So there's like, they, they will, anybody can uh, apply, and it's just a lot of students go as like their semester abroad is studying theater at NTI, and I have to say they, um, yeah, I, I love teaching, and the act of explaining what the Debate Society does mm-hmm. and helping other students do it in like a three-day workshop has at, been also a part of this evolution of myself mm-hmm. where I've learned sort of more about what I do and the values that I use to make those shows. And that's the other overlap for me that is um, I, I have this this theory, this sort of other thing I choose to believe because I think it's true that um, the values that we have as theatrical, as theater people and people who solve um, you know the challenges in story, mm-hmm. that those are the values that are gonna be really useful to the world I do too. In the future. Yeah. And very practically, like it will, we can solve things with theater values. Yes. Creative thinking, theater values, theater processes even. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I mean, a lot of it for me is, I mean, this relates to sort of breaking this sort of zero sum patriarchal world, but, you know, part of the sort of secret sauce to the debate society, because we're an ensemble theater company where Hannah and Hannah Boss and Paul Thorine are playwrights and actors. I'm a director who helps develop these plays. Mm -hmm. And part of the value that we have is that we we give ourselves, very practically, longer periods of not knowing the answer to something. Because the longer that you don't know the answer, but in active creative exploration... Um, the longer you don't know the answer, the richer the final product can be. Mm-hmm. That doesn't always mean it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are ways that you can stay productive without knowing exactly what you're what you're going towards. And part of that theory also, you know, the, the backup to that theory is that um, if you decide what a thing is going to be, right, it can only ever be that good, right? But... If you use a sort of this sort of value-based system um, for making something where the thing that you're making hasn't been decided from the very beginning, um, then you that thing can also be influenced by the smarter you that will exist mm. in the process of making it. Um, and I think in the end, you end up with the possibility of a better thing. And that for me is like whether you want to be a theater person, you want to make plays, you want to be a lawyer, you want to be a teacher, you want to be a pipe fitter, mm-hmm. you know, you want to drive a ferry, you know, it's like um, I believe that your life and our world will be better uh, if we sort of have those values. And so can you can you define some of those values? Well, yeah, one of them is, um, you know, don't decide what the thing right. is ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, let I like let, to call that, um, let's live in the mess. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. 
And part of that is, you know, you have to sort of trick yourself to be okay with not knowing because I like making progress, you know, so like there are ways that you can sort of like make progress, but with uh, without having to define yeah. mm -hmm. the exact thing that you're moving towards. You could also call it discovery. Yeah, that's right. right. I, I think another value is um, <clears throat> the process uh, is the content. So like when you're making something, you're not running a program you already know. You are devising the process at the same time. And so um, you have to, um, I at least I'm not interested in just doing what I've always done. Mm. Um, I have to look at each uh, group, each ensemble I'm working with, each writer I'm working with, each play, and say, what is actually the process this, this needs? And make sure that it structure, that the, I structure the process <clears throat> mm -hmm. in a way that benefits what I, you know, uh, the way I think it needs to work. Another way to say that, two, two things actually, yeah. um, is like reading the room. Yeah. Um, and being responsive to the room or uh, culturally responsive. So we're being, you're being responsive to who is actually in that room. That's right. As opposed to applying one process that worked with a, one group and a, just laying it on this, this That's group right. and not adjusting. That is it. Or flexibility. That's right. That's right. I also think um, I talk a lot about structure and freedom um, in the in the work that I do with students. Mm -hmm. um, and some of that has come out of working with the Bates Society as well. This is sort of where the different sort of worlds have come together. Mm. But um, I am I am really in favor of, at least as a director, I feel like director has a responsibility to do this, but everyone in the room can do this. I think it's really important to be upfront about what you think um, or how you wanna work. Um, and allow people to opt in or voice concerns about it. Mm. Um, when I talk to directors, you know, I grew up learning from a lot of different directors and some incredible directors, but you, you sort of, I, I left some of my education thinking the director is the person who knows all the answers, right? And um, has one big emotional sort of scary blow up in every process and screams at everyone uh -huh. right That's, and that yeah. everything needs to like be about to fall apart and destroying everyone you know very hierarchical and sort of toxic you know and I don't think I was ever exactly like that but I sort of mm. in my mind I had this idea of how that was supposed to work so when I talk to directing students about sort of how to sort of establish their room it's important for them to know what they think their ideal role is because mm. I don't necessarily think that you can't be an auteur who makes all the decisions but you must be in a room with people who have opted into that if I'm going to say listen I am best when I'm not questioned right and where I make all the decisions right some people are okay working that way they need to decide mm -hmm. I want to be a part of that process and be able to opt in on that. And if they don't want to do that, they also need to be allowed to say, um, I actually thought I wanted to do this, but now I don't. And then we've got to talk about how to adjust that process. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not my style. I'm a little bit more sort of coach director. Yeah. I'm a little bit sort of more loosey-goosey, but it is a style that I choose because I like working in that style. And sometimes I need to take on different roles. But I make it really clear to my students and when you're doing ensembles that when you are coaching an ensemble, mm -hmm. um, that 
they need to start having an eye for what those sort of hidden structures are, right. call them out, and decide whether they want them to be a part of the process. Because mm. where things start falling apart creatively in the creative process is when people have different ideas of what's going on um, or have made assumptions about, uh, you know, that they are at different points in a process. And as like an example, if I think this is the moment to get everything perfect because we've got an audience coming in in, in an hour, right? And I am <laughs> shutting down conversation because we got to make decisions. And someone else is sitting there thinking, I don't care about the people who are coming in an hour. This mm. is just for us to mess around, mm. right? We are going to have we are going to have friction that isn't necessarily useful. And that is just a very practical difference in perspective mm. that sometimes can be useful. A difference in perspective about sort of the complexities of the piece really really useful. But if I am literally working on a completely different timeline and set of expectations about what we're doing, that can create a world where I don't feel safe because you're not making any decisions. They don't feel safe because I'm <laughs> shutting down all conversation. That, that to me is sort of like unuseful mm -hmm. friction. So I have a cold right now, so I'm, I'm trying not to cough. That's what's happening. Oh, yeah, 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 sure. Do you want to take a <laughs> cough break? Let's take a cough break. Um, no, I'm good. I've been coughing this whole time. But do you need a, do you need a minute? Uh, no, I, I, I'm, I'm good. We'll take it. I you mean, we'll Actually, take some sort of, let's, let's do a, a break. Pause. We'll take a pause. Okay, pause. <laughs> oh, there we go. I'm unpaused. That's all oh, I had to do is unpause. Nice. Now we're back. Now we're back. Now we're back. Here we are. Remember when we didn't know if we were back? <laughs> I do, actually. Oh, man. Those were good times. Those were good times. Yeah, but now we're back. <laughs> <sighs> um, so tell us more about the, the debate society. Sure. Yeah, I want to know because well, I might be stalking you on please Facebook. please do so the debate society um it is uh an ensemble theater company it is a theater company i won't even qualify it as ensemble theater company it's a theater company that is made up of hannah boss paul Thorine, and i mm -hmm. they are actor playwrights and i'm a director mm -hmm. and we've been making plays together now for 15 years we have made 10 full-length plays in that time, and we produced nine of them. Wow. Um, we started by producing stuff on our own, uh, raising all the money and producing the show in a rented space, and then we started collaborating with theaters and doing a co-production kind of arrangement mm. at uh, the Ontological Theater, PS122, mm -hmm. um, The Brick, other The Crane, uh, not the crane, actually, the Red Room. The Red Room. A lot of these yeah. places that don't even <laughs> exist anymore. Is are, the Red Room not there anymore? The Red Room is now a bar or something oh, like that. Yeah. I played the Red Room. The once. crane is the crane is still oh, there. Oh no, no. I was in the crane. We okay. uh, I played both. Same places. same anyway. building. Same building. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um and then so we started doing collaborative agreements, which, you know, uh allowed us to work with an organization, but still probably raise most of the money for mm. the production costs. And most recently, we've been produced at a few amazing theaters. Uh, we were the company in residence at Ars Nova uh, years ago. We Ooh. did a play there called Jacuzzi. Uh, and then we did a play called The Light Years at Playwrights Horizons. Mm. We were not an official company in residence, but we do sort of have this, we, we sort of squat whenever we have an opportunity mm -hmm. with an organization. And they, uh, Playwrights Horizons commissioned a play from us as well. We just sort of, 
use their space when we can and go there and be there that's great that you have those kinds of relationships yeah no it's it's a company that you know we decided very early on we didn't even want a company you know we had so many friends who had started companies that had sort of they'd sort of destroyed their friendships and sort of you know there's just running something can be really sort of negative if you don't have it really figured out or you're not working from a good value system Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and so we didn't want a company but we did one play uh, in the Red Room. That's where our first one happened. And um, afterwards, we're like, well, let's do another play. And, oh, maybe we want to apply for grants. So we were like, well, maybe we need a name if we apply for grants. Mm-hmm. So we like came up with a list of names and a set of values for picking that mm-hmm. name. We were like, we, um, we don't want a name that tells you what kind of work it is. We want it to be something that can evolve as we evolve. Cool. And we knew that we wanted um, a name that if we were going to be a little bit self-righteous that it would be like high school level self-righteous so sort of like a dorky a dorkiness um that felt sort of in line with our own sort of dorkiness and um even though it sort of implies it sounds like especially because i'm getting more into sort of political work you would think the debate society is like Mm -hmm. about civic debate Mm -hmm. and actually it's more like high school um you know high school people who take their themselves a little bit too seriously mm-hmm. but in a sort of fun way i love that yeah um and it has been good to it has worked for us to like i still feel proud of the name and happy to happy to share it with people yeah so. yeah um uh our our little tiny theater company is called a space between mm. and um that's nice that, that yeah thank you it, it's um because our work is between this sort of linear uh, non-linear and um, non-verbal uh, hmm. place, but we also ha- we do a lot of vignettes, so it's never like yeah. this straight story, or yeah. or even if there is like a, a through line, there's these breakout <laughs> vignettes yeah. that happen that are random and I love that. Um, so yeah, it's it's a fu- it's a really fun way as somebody who learned you know very much from had that same experience as from a director you know sort of top down blow up um you just you're just the actor Mm -hmm. place and then taking a a, um directing class where i created an ensemble without any sort of model um and then sort of moving through and getting in more into uh education and then working at the new victory because it is a a collective Mm. of teaching artists that we call an ensemble and we work very collaboratively, very mm. much in terms of devising the content, not necessarily the con- not the content that's happening on stage, but the work that's happening around it. Mm-hmm. That we come from this artistic, you know, value system yeah. that is applied to an education um, uh, approach uh, or pedagogy. Um, that that all lends itself into what we do as uh, a space between. Yeah, it my collaborator was a teaching artist for many many years Mm. um and it started from a group of teaching artists um, that just then sort of morphed into the two of us i love the idea of betweenness i um Mm -hmm. um i work with a playwright named will eno he's someone Mm -hmm. else who's not a part of the debate society but you know another person in the world like any of the writers who i love working with mm-hmm. but who really share some of my values and um he has a play called middletown yeah that a lot of people sort of sometimes relate to our town in a way but even mm-hmm. though it had no direct connection to mm-hmm. that when he was making mm-hmm. it but um um middletown i've taught a few times out at national theater institute and um 
you know, that play, I think, is all about the experience of middleness, sometimes the oppression yeah. of middleness mm-hmm. or the sort of beauty of middleness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm also interested in the idea of like betweenness as something that we don't try and manifest um, too often. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what what happens when you look specifically at the space between things, mm-hmm. um, which you're usually supposed to ignore, and that, you know, probably also connects in the sort of civic-minded sort of social justice mind what i think of is like that's actually where the structure is um so it's exciting to me no that's actually it really it's like almost like you've been in our room um like in the studio with us because that we we're coming from this place of like telling women stories and that Mm. is often you know stories that you don't get to hear uh, right uh, as frequently so it is our point and we we were trying to make theater originally we were made to make theater for young audiences which we have one piece called the red dress um that is for like 12 and up and now i think we just read through and we're like i think we made a piece of theater for adults what happened yeah (laughs) so uh it'll it'll be interesting to see how how it evolves but that's awesome um but yeah so i like i feel i feel a kinship to what you're talking about with the debate society definitely you're doing it on a different level than we are because mm-hmm. we have other uh career percentages right mm-hmm. um so so sorry is is the debate society having anything to do with heidi's piece or no. is there they're separate no, so yeah, she came unrelated, to you. yeah how did you work with her before so we'd never worked together before we um uh heidi uh, I knew from her work in theater, uh, and I knew her... Well, uh, she was in a reading. All right, so yeah, how is the... So the beginning of my relationship with Heidi was, one, we were in the community together, mm-hmm. right? And I had seen her as an actress in some really amazing plays. I mean, she was in Circle Mirror Transformation at Playwrights Horizons, mm-hmm. the Annie Baker play. Uh, she's one of the great actresses of our generation, Um we know a lot of great anyway so that i knew her as that um i also knew her plays i had seen her plays um uh grand concourse uh and i'd read other plays of hers um so i knew her as a writer um and then she actually came and worked uh a play i directed called the amateurs that jordan harrison wrote that we had at the vineyard um, which Quincy Tyler Bernstein played the role that Heidi had originally written for herself. Wow. So um, there's a monologue in the middle that sort of the actress steps out and says, hi, I'm actually, you know, this is who I am. And here's this experience I had and tells the story of being in um, a, a Christmas Carol production at Humana Festival. And Heidi had written that for herself and she was meant to be in that play. And when she couldn't, mm. um, we went to the other one of the greatest actresses of our generation who had worked with Heidi and some of Heidi's work before Quincy Tyler Bernstein, who worked Mm -hmm. on that show with us. So it was um, through that. And then her seeing some of my activist work that I think she thought maybe this is someone I should work with. I'm a big believer that people come into your life when you're ready for them. And so it feels like, you know, you, you all were, you know, when she came in, yeah, you were ready and then you became a you know because you said she came to you right yeah, that's right um and what how would you describe your working relationship really it uh it has impacted me in ways that um 
I, I mean, every play and every relationship has impact in you, but because of the content of the piece and the sort of the level of unknowing about what the process was going to be, we, um, we had to really, really design how the whole process was going to work from the ground up. Mm. Um, and we didn't take anything for granted. Some of it in working with her had to do with the fact that she was doing something that she was very scared of doing, mm. um, that she was, you know, nervous that people wouldn't necessarily want to hear her stories. Mm -hmm. um, there, um, you know, if you take the scariest things that you've been hiding in your own family, or not hiding, but just like the things you don't mm -hmm. talk about openly and mm -hmm. say, I'm not only going to tell these, but I'm also asking <laughs> whether or not you like it as theater, right? That's super scary. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our work had to do with making sure that she, um, you know, that it had a process that both she and I, but that she felt safe doing that in. But that ended up being actually more of a value that we use to spin out into, let's create a process where everyone feels as safe as possible in the room. And once we decided to work with teenagers, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the debaters who's in the show, uh, Rosdelli Ciprian, who's now 14, she came to work with us when we decided we would have a debate <coughs> with a real New York uh, debater, mm -hmm. a teenage debater, we met with some and we met this girl who was 12 and she blew our minds. She was a little bit younger than we thought we wanted for the role for the for the person because we wanted it to relate to Heidi's age right. she's in the 15? play. Is that right? She's 15. Yeah. But she was so special as a person. Mm -hmm. We knew we wanted to work with her. But working with a young person, right? also comes with a lot of important sort of uh, considerations. Mm -hmm. People treat kids differently. Right. I, I'm sure I naturally treat kids differently with less agency. So when we talk about the agency and what we can do for the process to make sure that a young person in a room full of adults uh, feels that they have access to their full agency, it's important that, um, you know, it's important that the room runs by a set of values mm. that can do that. You know, and simple things like don't contradict don't contradict them. We have a habit, I think, of saying, no, actually, you're wrong, mm. right? And we do that to all different kinds of people, right? But, uh, you know, a young woman in the room, you know, uh, it is much easier to, that pe uh, someone could come in the room and contradict, well, actually, that's not true. Actually, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so we very explicitly would tell people, anyone who is coming in the room, we're not doing that, Right. Um, that doesn't mean we can't learn or be wrong or sort of like find something else, mm. but we were going to shut down the, you know, the attempt to sort of know more right. than the person who actually was there to be the expert in the room right. on debate. She taught us everything we needed. We now know about debate. So, so, so yeah. a, a couple of things in, in teaching, <clears throat> we talk about honoring prior knowledge Hmm. Um, so that is, and the whole thing is about agent and giving, uh, creating student centered opportunities. So it yeah. is about the kid and not about us filling the well, but actually utilizing or building on what they already know, depending on whatever yeah. we're bringing into the room. And is the pri honoring the prior knowledge of, of the, the person mm -hmm. that you're interacting with? Correct. Gotcha. Yep. Correct. And then, um, something I thought before, but didn't say out loud is that you, you setting the the sort of um, structure, protocols, procedures of how the what's happening in the rehearsal process, and um, 
when you were talking before about like if we're not on the same page then we're not gonna there's trans it's about transparency right and what i what i didn't think about then when we were talking before the break and now um have a better sense of is uh about how how you make you help other people who are not in that room on a daily right understand when you come in this room this is what's happening yeah. this is this is the, this is the set of values right. that we're running by and if right. you, you need to get on board on right. that yeah um and that you know even even when it moved to broadway you still had to i'm sure that there you know when it goes to broadway it's a whole new set of yeah guidelines and rules yeah. <clears throat> so sorry i have obviously a cold um, no, it's good. It's real. It's, it's real. It's real. <laughs> it's real. <laughs> We're nothing if not real here. <laughs> um, but uh, but you know, making the choices that get made that are uh, antithetical to those values, yeah. still speaking up, yeah, and and making it transparent, yeah, and figuring out how to do that even in a world where it feels like, ooh, that is stepping into territory that I don't feel comfortable yeah. in, but how important is that? It actually protects everyone in yeah. a way. It's not just centered around making sure that like kids are safe, right? No, th- Which that right. seems like an obvious, but the person coming into a room yeah. who doesn't know the mm-hmm. rules and the values, you're actually, you're putting them in a position where they are likely to do something to that would undermine their position in the room. So it's sort of like, in a way for me, like taking that minute to say like, hi, I'm just going to tell <laughs> yeah. you how our room works, yeah. you know, and we did this. We and, and what's great is we had a set of producers who are totally on board with like maintaining the spirit of the show. We brought on a uh, production stage manager to help guide us in the Broadway world. And she also was someone who is like really supportive of the values of the show. But just by making it, you know, and it doesn't take a whole lot, actually. It's like it seems like a lot when you're thinking like, oh, God, how do I have this conversation? But if you just say, look, any new person coming into the room, I'm just going to take five minutes. I'm going to take them aside and say, hey, listen, we do things a little bit differently here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want you to know that. So that you have the best chance of success, right? I know? love that. I was, um, you saw my eyes go like over here for a second because this is what I do when I th- I'm seeing things. Mm. <laughs> um, are you hallucinating right now? No, what but are you I seeing? do go what are you places. Seeing, Courtney? I what do, do you... go places yeah, yeah. when I visualize. Yeah, <laughs> um, where'd you go? Uh, so where I went was, you know, you're talking about the artistic process and the and the people coming into that space and how important it is to set them up to be successful and for the process and the rest of the people who are regularly or often involved um, be successful that 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 same idea or that same concept is the same as a teaching artist a teaching artist walks into any given room whatever educational setting that is and has you know some prior knowledge about the norms in that room but won't have all of those so um you know, and classroom teachers, as an example, if you're going to a school environment, don't have the time necessarily to do that for that five minute chat. Sure. Um, in a in a comprehensive way, or yeah. or maybe there's some pre planning opportunities. But the, anyway, that's what that was making me think about is like a teaching. That's a teaching artist life on a daily. Sure. They are always walking into a room where there's a set of values that are uh, and norms that are set already set. Yeah. And they are coming to disrupt it. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. And um, hopefully they're disrupting it in a way that can still respect it. Yeah. But um, will 
you know, stir things up and yeah. and through the art. Yeah. And the hard thing too is making space for mistakes in that too. Like we right. have over the course of two years, we've had very specific situations where that conversation didn't happen mm-hmm. either because, you know, I forgot to have the conversation or I was too uncomfortable in the moment to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. And most of the times I've regretted it, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, and then also finding a way where, um, you can have a conversation, you can have a room where you can say in a way, you can say to someone, hey, listen, I think the approach or what you said mm-hmm. possibly landed in this way, you know, um, and we got to talk about how that's out of alignment with the values of the room and how we don't do that, you know, yeah. and if there's a way to have that conversation, it's really hard. Even me talking about having a conversation in a theoretical way, yeah. I'm uncomfortable, mm. you know, but getting have better. i created safe space for you, you to, have. to talk about but it? but i'm in my own yes you have <laughs> okay. but in my imagined it, it's like as i imagine being in that situation yeah, yeah. i still feel i'm like i naturally don't want to make other people uncomfortable or make me uncomfortable i have to get more comfortable with Feeling being uncomfortable, uncomfortable yeah. and allowing other people to feel uncomfortable um, and that also, I mean, that feels like a between kind of thing, right? Discomfort mm-hmm. is one of those things that like feels like that's a between space. Mm-hmm. That's never supposed to be the focus. That's supposed to be the thing you like work around, overlap, jump <laughs> right. over. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly, um, it's, that is the most important thing to yeah. be sort of centering. I'm, I'm very interested in those between spaces. Yeah. Very interested. Yeah. Um, I, you know, something I didn't fully think about when you were talking about the rehearsal process is how this piece is intergenerational. Um, and, and yet, you know, she is able to, she was teaching you all. Yeah. <clears throat> and you <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who I saw because I know there are two young ladies. So Thursday is seventeen, and she's uh, yeah, she definitely is. You know, she yeah. she looks like she's seventeen, right. and Roselli is fourteen. Right. So, so I saw Roselli. You I saw Roselli. Yeah. Yeah, Roselli, and um, she was owning that stage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> owning her points. Yeah. And um, and they're her own points. Her, that's exactly. the thing. Is like I loved it. Yeah. I loved everything about it. I also loved that it was a, a young lady of color. Yep, that's right. Um, t- so was there any choices around that? Absolutely. No, no, no. That that was an intentional choice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Heidi. Uh, if we were going to, you know, after listening to Heidi for, you know, an hour and hearing her story, and if we were going to bring, we knew we wanted a teenager from today yeah. to come out. We wanted someone who uh, both actually, because they're different people, but also just immediately you, you know, you weren't equating it necessarily with Heidi's experience, but someone who might have a totally different experience. And because it's theater and we make decisions on that kind of thing, you have to, you have to decide for us to have decided to use a young uh white girl would be just as much of a decision Mm -hmm. and when we looked at that versus the idea of looking into these debate clubs in new york which you know there is a great tradition of um of people of color young people of color working in these debate clubs Mm -hmm. um and actually there are there is quite a bit of segregation within those debate clubs as well like different clubs that are more exclusively white versus clubs that are more exclusively non-white um so for us it just ended up being the more interesting choice Mm -hmm. to look beyond 
um, someone who would seem to be united, you know, with Heidi's experience more and look beyond that into one of these other groups. And then also, so that is, it was an intentional choice. Mm -hmm. We really, we saw a lot of amazing young women of color who came in to uh, audition. Um, and these just happened to be two of the most incredible. That's awesome. Yeah. I um, <clears throat> I don't want to give away the whole play, so we, we don't need to go too deep into like what happens unless you're willing to go there. I, yeah, I mean, I don't hide too much. <laughs> I mean, like I can. I'm I'm happy to. I feel like people listen to things and then forget. We we, <laughs> we in the first iteration of this, we didn't get into. We like didn't advertise too hard that the uh, that the teenagers came out to debate, but then it also it was like why are we taking away like it's yeah. this it, people forget it's like I think it's still a surprise when mm -hmm. they come out so it is maybe yeah. I think maybe because um you're so much of you're so in ingrained in her story yeah and it's it's very compelling yeah and um you know they I, I don't know if people say it's a one woman play, but there's like multiple. It's people like a one. It. It's a one person play with clearly three people right. in it. You know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, you can give away, give anyway, away whatever you like. Give away. Whatever so, you like. so they're there. So first, you know, she's, she's sort of giving her the speeches and then it becomes a debate. Um, so this young woman comes out and the, what's the, what's the premise of the debate? Like, Whether or not they it? should abolish yeah. the constitution abolish or keep it's like an existential, a debate about the existence <laughs> of the constitution. I know, yeah. It's so awesome. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was, uh, it, the audience gets very involved and very, you know, yeah. energized. I yeah. would say is that the, you, how many Absolutely. times, how many times have you actually seen it? I think I've seen it a hundred times, wow. probably. Uh, that might be high. I maybe I'm overestimating. I think Heidi has maybe only done this show 150 to 200 times. So, wow. and we did it out in Berkeley. Right. Uh, we did it at New York Theater Workshop. Mm -hmm. We did it in Extension and yeah. now on Broadway. So, um, did, did you do it in DC? No, no. no. Okay. We're talking about bringing it there okay. hopefully soon. That's and, great, uh, which is exciting. I yeah. Mean. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go there. Be right? awesome. Be awesome. Get there. Um, yeah. Anyway, so there's this like debate. And so well, Heidi is um, arguing for. So they, they switch back and forth. Yes. They really do switch back and forth. Um, so one person uh, picks keep the Constitution mm -hmm. and one person picks abolish the Constitution. And what I've actually learned, I didn't always talk about it this way. Oh, they change it per show. Is yeah, yeah, they mean? flip. Yeah, they flip. That. So and they have different. They have different that points. Keeps it fresh. Keeps it fresh. They're always evolving the debate. Yeah. So it's like there's scripted elements to mm -hmm. it. And then they also have the ability. See, this actually relates to when people are like, is the debate real? How much of it is scripted? Like people ask that mm -hmm. a lot. And I love that actually the structure of the piece relates back to this conversation of structure and freedom. Mm. It's like um, they don't need to be making it up every single night from scratch mm -hmm. for it to also be extemporaneous and in the moment, you know, it's like sometimes we have things that we've worked, even in proper debate, you don't walk into a room with mm -hmm. no preparation. Yeah, you walk course. in with all your points written. Mm -hmm. Now, the difference for us is they have to do the same debate. But you have to be single. responsive. That's right. That's um, right. And yeah. that means you have to be listening. And I mean, all the things that you have to do. As pivot a, as, as things a, change mm -hmm. and the world changes and the audience is different. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's thrilling. I didn't, it's really, I didn't exciting. really understand that. Yeah, it's uh <clears throat> it's an exciting thing that is really happening up there. 
And um, I and think you that's, can feel it with the you shift feel it. of energy. Yeah. And the audience, they, um, you know, what I realized about the debate, too, is like, you know, they were talking about whether we should keep the Constitution or abolish the Constitution. But they're really what they're really debating is radical change mm. or incremental change. Right. Because no one is really, really saying, like, just toss it out and that's it. Right. It's saying, like, I advocate for massive change that might include throwing it out and rewriting the whole thing mm -hmm. versus keep doing what we've always been doing, which is like change it a little bit at a time. Right. But that is the I think that is the sub. That's why people, I think, get so passionate right now is because we know change needs to happen and we are sick of how long it's ha it's taken. And we are trying to decide, are we going to do this through massive steps forward in huge swaths of action or do we keep grinding away at it little by little and i think that's part of what is sort of part of the fire that comes from the mm, audience fire i like that yeah i just uh, so i don't know if you believe in this but uh 2000 we met in 2018 uh, right at the text. Yeah, 2018 yeah. yeah so the fall of 2017 I went to a party at my friend's house who it was like a medium party hmm. and we each got like 30 minutes with her alone hmm. and when I came in I I've done this before and it's always like with a medium you don't really I tell gotcha. me anything yeah. that I huh. ever think is real yeah but <clears throat> Something that she said immediately, she's like, you are, without knowing me, she's like, you are a communicator, you're an artist and a teacher. And then I told her what I do and she's like, okay, perfect. And she's like, well, your soul coaches are talking to me, so I need to, or your soul, soul guides, guides, something like that. They're talking to me and they're really wanting me to tell you about like where you're going. And she was like, this country and the world, like we are about to have a whole paradigm shift and you have something to do with it. And you know, when you, somebody says that, you're like, what's happening? Um... And she says, whatever you're doing, there's like, whatever you're already doing, keep doing it, but keep like, don't stop. They're saying, don't stop. And I w had just launched this. Hmm. And so I thought, uh, oh, okay, sure. And then she said, and I, you know, you might have, I think you're going to have something like you, you're, you need to make your art and you need to do this and it's going to be political, but you know, don't worry about all of that. Just keep making the art and keep communicating. And then she said, I think, you know, you're, you're going to have something to do with the election. And you know, it was 2017. So I was like, what the midterms? And she's like, no, the big one. I was like, okay. She's like, is that, is that, does that make sense? And yeah. I was like, no, but <laughs> sure, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, so part, part of the reason why I went to that event was because of what she said to me. Yeah. Your workshop. Oh, wonderful. And, and then as you were just talking just now about this abolish or keep the incremental or the radical change, like I just went right back to sitting in that basement with her. Yeah. And so I, I, I would venture to say <laughs> that like your piece, your role working with Heidi, Heidi herself, like you, there's something to this that is going to have an effect or an impact as we move forward. I don't know how. I hope and it I'll, does. And I'll but. say your initial question was, do I, I don't know if I believe in this, but I will say um, you trans, you telling me that story from that woman that I never met from the medium. Mm. Um, makes me feel more committed to the thing that I'm doing and excited for, you know, what I hope will be the change that is to come. So mm. whether or not I believe in it, I believe that the message 
you know, is worthy and means something to me. Thank you for listening to episode 21, act two of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Oliver Butler, What It Means About. Join us next time for a conversation with Mindy Early. Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the creative content manager. Brandon Hutchinson is the media arts coordinator. Jonah Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at teachingartistry.org. Follow us on Twitter at TA underscore artistry and on Instagram at teaching artistry with CJB. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud, subscribe and rate us on iTunes, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now.